Hey, once again, uh, welcome to Four Corners. We're glad you're here. And like Pastors Nate and Greg said, we're going to be talking about detoxing today, creating a little bit of room, getting rid of the unhealthy stuff, detoxing, and in the topic of money. And before anybody goes bolting for the doors because you showed up at church today, somebody made you came, and today's the day we're talking about money, I want to let you know in a, uh, let you in on a secret. We don't want anything from you today. We're not talking about your giving today. I'm talking about the other side of money. That is the side of the money that you have and you manage. And I want to let you know right out of the gate where, where our heart is as a church and where God's heart is on this subject. He wants you free. He wants you free. He wants you to operate in power. He wants you to be free when it comes to your money. He doesn't want you to live as a slave. He doesn't want you to be in bondage. He doesn't want you to walk around depressed. He wants you to be empowered. He calls you his son, his daughter. That means you're the son or the daughter of the king. And when you think about the subject of money, he wants you to be free and to operate like that. And so today when we dive in, you have the ability today to be open-hearted, to consider what's being said, and know that at no point in this am I going to look at you and say, and so in light of all this, give us your money. All right, that's not happening today. So look at your, uh, look at your friend. If you're a guest today, just uh, let the air out. You can relax, all right? We're going to be talking about, about margin all through this series, creating a little bit of room. You know what margin is. It's that white space around the edge of a page in a book. And when you're in high school, you know that the bigger the white space is around the edge of the book, the less reading there was to doing the assignment. And that's a good thing, right? So, so margin's good. Um, we're also just kind of, you know, you can think about it too. It's just, it's breathing room. It's the opposite of you have margin uh, when this doesn't happen, when you have so much stuff in your calendar that you don't have room for anything else. And there are things you want to do, but you can't do because you don't have any room. You can't squeeze anything else in. And we use the metaphor of the crowded closet, Parents, you know this, you send your kid up to clean the room and in three minutes they come back down because they're done and you walk upstairs and when you open the closet, everything comes out. And when your closet's full or your garage full or your attic's full and you can't move around and everything's kind of crammed into every corner, that's all well and good because that's stuff. But when your life is like that and you have no room financially, you have no room in your time, you have no room in your emotions, that's not good. And while you can spend a couple of hours and simply clean out your closet, it might take a little bit more work to clean up and organize and get margin with our lives. So we've dedicated four weeks to talking about that and trying to discover God's heart on that matter. And I think when you look at God's heart on money, you're not going to experience it as repressive. You're not going to experience it as bondage. You're going to experience it as freedom. Because it really is okay for your closet to be crowded but it's not okay for your life to be so full of stuff that you don't have any room, and it's literally squeezing the life out of you. Now, in our house, over the last few months, uh, weeks rather, we've had the opportunity to look at this subject of financial ma- uh, margin, unlike we have in a while. So I want to you know, give you a little inside scoop on the life of a pastor. Uh, about a year and, and a month ago now, um, I bought a new car. Um, we typically buy a car and drive it to over 200,000 miles, and so our, our red van... Um, the minivan that had different colored windows because some got broke and the rust. You've seen it. I know you have. You laughed at your pastor. I got it. But our red minivan um, bit the dust. It was so bad that when Jill would like get in the car, because I wouldn't drive it. It was embarrassed. But Jill would get in the car. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. And it's true. Um, I, I, <laughs> she'd get in the car. And sometimes she'd like get to the store, load it up, and it wouldn't start. And so I was like, all right, it's time to get a new car. And so, so we went and bought a new car. And I had set a limit on how much we were going to spend because I'm God's man of faith and power and all wisdom is contained in me. So I set a, a limit. That's sarcasm. I set a, a limit on how much we were going to spend on, on this new car. Now, you may not know about this, this about me, but I'm a sucker for gadgets. 
And I like nice stuff. My tastes are here. My budget's here. My tastes are here. And so my boys, they're into cars. And they, they watch all the car shows. They know all about cars. And we go out and I say to them, boys, today we are not buying a car. We are looking at cars. By the end of the day, I drove home um, in a car that um, was really nice, guys. It was really nice. Now, I, I, I was at first interested and attracted to this car because the advertisement said that this was the price. And they were right. That it wasn't false. It was the base level. So I go in. In my mind, this is the car I can get. And after looking at the cars and sitting in a few and talking to the salesman, I discovered a few things about cars that are, that are pretty sweet. I don't know if you know this or not, but do you know you can buy a car that has a GPS built right into the dash and it'll talk to you? It will. I bought one of those. I wasn't going to, but I bought one of those. And you can buy cars that will make you feel so loved and special. It's, they do it with one little button. It's called heated seats. When you... <laughs> You can, you can do it. You press the heated seat button. You guys have been there, right? If you haven't, listen, you got to sit in a car that has heated seats because you go out. It takes your car 20 minutes to warm up, but you press the heated seat button. In about 30 seconds, you're just experiencing love all over <laughs> your body. It's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. No, 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 no I'm, I'm joking a little bit. I'm telling the truth, but I'm joking a little bit, making light. But I ended up setting my budget here, but I ended up buying like up here. Now, Jill and I talked about it as we were, you know, discussing what we were going to do, and, and, and we discovered that I work hard, and I, I kind of deserve it, and I, to give myself a break, and pastors should not drive ratty-looking cars. We've got to be professional like everybody else, and so we talked ourselves, and listen, we didn't go way overboard, but we certainly spent more than we were going to. We also spent, at this point, really, it was within our budget. We could afford it, but it did squeeze the margin a bit. I drove that car almost all year, and at about 11 months and about 16,000 miles, it broke down. It broke down. I had been in the shop three or four times already, but it broke down. And my car technically and legally became a lemon, which is really frustrating. So here I am. I bought this car to give me happiness, to love me, to talk at me when nobody else will. Um, that's what I bought this car for. And, and, and within 11 months, it's not loving me. And all the money I'm spending, I'm just experiencing frustration. And what I bought to make me feel good, to increase my standard of living, thinking it would make me happy, has now brought me significant frustration. Significant frustration. I'm spending money and I'm not getting the satisfaction out of it. Now, God, God blessed us because when a, a car gets declared a lemon, you get, you get all your money back. So I got all my money back. And now I've got the unique opportunity to go out and shop for a car with wisdom and experience in a relatively short period of time that I've not had before. And we've discovered that we're able to buy two cars for significantly less than the one car cost me, I'm able to replace my daughter's ugly, run-down, won't-start car. And if you're a dad, you know, you can't have a daughter driving like that. She doesn't get a new car, though. She doesn't get a car with a talking GPS. She gets a reasonable car. And then Jill and I, and our, our boys now, they're left, we get a reasonable car. But having the knobs and experience that buying things, thinking it's going to increase my standard of living. And when my standard of living goes up, then the quality of life is going to go up. I've had a chance to look at that in a fresh and new way. And when we talked about this subject of margin and we looked at time, here's what we said. We said, first of all, that margin is this. Margin is the space between my current pace in life and my personal limitations. So in time, the pace I'm running, but I only have so much time and I can't create time and eventually I'm going to run out of time. The space between the pace of my life and the time that I'm using, that in-between space is called margin. And when you have a little bit of margin with your calendar, life's enjoyable. And we, we discussed it this way. We said that because my time is limited, I must limit my time. 
I can't go borrow more time. I'm not going to get an extra 20 years. I'm not going to live my 20s over. I can't live my 30s over. I'm not going to get another chance to raise these kids. There are some things that when time's over, time's over, you don't get another chance. And today we're talking about money, and it's a little different. And the difference between time and money is seductive. While I can't add more time, here's the, here's the truth. We'll say it this way. My money is also limited, but I don't have to limit my money. I don't. Money's limited, but I don't have to limit my money because I, while I can't borrow time, I can borrow money. And what this means is when I run my personal pace up against my personal limits with time, I'm stuck. I just have to live with that. But when I run my pace with money up against the limits of my money, I can go borrow more and give myself the impression and live in the reality, at least for a while, that money really isn't limited like time. And it's seductive. It's seductive because inside of me and inside of you, there is this desire for stuff. And it's not completely bad. It's not completely bad to want nice stuff. We're going to talk about it in a minute. We're going to talk about the seductiveness in it. And by the time we get to the end, we're going to look at Jesus' words, and they're going to be crystal clear. So I want to draw just a little distinction in the room. I know that in this room, there's people on all walks of life. And in their spiritual development, we have significant variety across the spectrum of this room, right to left. That's okay. Wherever you are, we're really glad you're here. And we cater everything in church to make sure that no matter where you are in your spiritual spectrum, you feel welcomed here. You can understand what we're saying. You can consider what we're saying. Today, I'm going to tweak that just a little. If you're not a follower of Jesus, don't know where you are, maybe you believe he said some good stuff, but you don't believe that he's risen from the dead and is alive and lives with people and inhabits our praise, you don't believe any of that stuff, you're going to get some practical stuff for you. But I want to talk to those of you for just a moment who believe that Jesus is alive and not dead, you have a relationship with him, and you believe that in some regard he's a part of your life. What we're going to talk about today isn't optional for us not optional for the followers of Jesus. It's not optional for Christians. So a lot of times I think we believers, I'm just talking to the, the club for a minute. If you're a guest, this is like family discussion. You get to see us have a talk for just a moment. I think a lot of times as believers, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we look at the Bible like a lot of us, like I do, like I listen to sermons. I think when I go into hear somebody else preach, my first thought is, I hope he's not too good because I'm going to feel bad. And then I think, I hope he doesn't waste, his, waste my time because, you know, he needs to be good enough to not waste my time. But, but my other thought is, is I often say to myself, at the end of a sermon, what did he say that impressed me? What did he say that I might want to consider for my life? And I kind of go into it with the idea that, you know, I'm going to hear some stuff, it's going to be presented, and my job is to kind of consider what's for me. That's not all bad. That, that's okay. That's totally normal and understandable. But today's passage that we're going to look at is the words of Jesus. That means when you open your Bible in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are some red letters in a lot of editions, maybe, maybe yours, but a lot of editions have red letters. It means Jesus literally said these words. When I read these passages, when we get to the end of the message today, you're not going to question whether or not Jesus said them. You're going to know that he did. And you're not going to have to wonder what he meant. It's pretty obvious. What you're going to have to do is resist the tendency that I have when I hear other people speak or I hear a truth that, you know, I haven't really considered before. You're going to have to resist the tendency to consider that it's optional for you. Listen, followers of Jesus, when Jesus talked about money and he talked about it a lot and he talked... Some about what we give, of course he did, but that's not today's topic. He talked a lot about the challenge of living in light of the fact that money is limited, that we have limitations, that money has this thing about it that makes us want more. We're going to have to come to terms with the fact that Jesus' words really aren't an option for us. 
We can't follow Jesus honestly and with integrity and ignore his words here. Now, that's the negative side. Here's the positive side. When we read these words and we take them to heart, you're going to agree with him. You're going to know it's true. And I believe if you'll follow them, that is, Jesus is the Lord of your life, and if you follow these words, they're going to lead you not to bondage, not to guilt, not to repression, not to poorness. They're going to lead you to power and freedom and energy and life. That's God's heart for you and for me on the subject of money. It really is. That means that we can afford to look at this stuff, consider it honestly, and we don't have to shrink back out of some fear that we're going to get beat up on this subject. We don't have to shrink back out of some sense that I am so full in life, I don't have any room to consider this, and I know it's a mess, and I don't even want to hear it. I've done pretty well by just kind of pretending and ignoring, and I'm still here, we're eating. You don't have to do it. You can afford to engage this because God's heart for you and for me on this subject is freedom and life and power. And the information he's going to share with us in tangible and understandable ways will be deep in its impact, but not deep in its complexity. So let's start with a couple of truisms. Here's the first one. This is how seductive money is. We believe that if we increase the standard of living for us, I get the car, the GPS talks to me, the heated seats love me, People are impressed by me, think I'm awesome because I drive an awesome car. If we think that we increase our standard of living, here's what we think, then our quality of life will go up. We'll like life more. We'll enjoy life better. We'll have more fun. It'll feel good. Here's the truth, though. Your standard of living, my standard of living, does not equal our quality of life. When my car started going on the fritz, I started having this frustration over the experience. Still spending the money, but I'm going to be honest with you. Before the car ever went on the blitz and I was making my monthly payments and I knew that I could be paying here, but now I'm paying here. I can still afford it, but I, it's really the enjoyment factor after two, three months of making car payments, much lower. I'm going to be a little bit more transparent with you. And listen, if you need a pastor to be perfect in order to come to church and engage and consider what Jesus has to say to you and for you, this is the wrong church for you. Go ahead. I'm going to close my eyes for 10 seconds. You can get up and leave right now. That ain't the, that ain't the case here, right? Um, you know, when Jill and I were, were first married, she was in college. I was in college. We were in love and went, and went against some folks' advice, went ahead and got married early. And actually, it's worked fairly well for us. It, we, we've turned out okay. And she needed to work, and I needed to work to get by. She worked in a yogurt shop, and I worked doing the nightly audit at a hotel, the local hotel there in our college town. We made jack. We were rolling. Of course not. No, we, we, we were what, you know, in the Greek, uh, the Greek word is, is poor. And what that means in English is we were poor. <laughs> we were poor. Uh, now, we got by. We were eating and stuff. But we weren't making a lot. Of, and here's, here's a conversation we would have. When you graduate and get a job, and when I graduate and get a job, and you get a bit more money, and I get a bit more money, when we make, you know, twice as much as we're making now, life is going to be sweet. We told ourselves, when we make twice as much money as we're making now, because twice as much was very much in the realm because we made so little, twice as much wasn't a whole lot more. It was so possible. When we make twice as much money, we're going to be able to give like we like to give. We're going to be able to treat each other the way we want. We're going to be able to take nice vacations, buy the cars. We're not going to feel, as we felt every week, the constant pressure of how we're going to make ends meet. That's what we told ourselves. Jill graduated a year before me because... You know, I like to marry older women. That's the way I've only married one, but it's been a good experience. Um, uh, 
Uh, she graduated a year before me. Uh, I graduated a year. She got a job. We left. I went to grad school, got a job. And we, we started making more money. You know, our conversations were like the year we made more money. It, it was just, when you make a little bit more money, and when I make a little bit more money, we're not going to feel the daily pressure. Here's what happened. As she made more money and I made more money, you know what we did? We believed that as we made more money and we increased the standard of living, bigger apartment, newer furniture, bought our first car. I only spent $10,000 on it today. Wouldn't it be great to buy a brand new top-of-the-line car for $10,000? I'm very old, friends. I, don't, I only look 27, but in reality, I'm, I'm much older than that. Nobody laughed. It's, I don't look 27 once a day. All right, we bought our new car. And, and we, what happened was we took the margin, we took the excess, and rather than creating breathing room with it, we spent it. And every time she'd get a raise, every time i get a raise, we would increase our spending at a similar level. level. Now, Jill has an MBA in, 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 in business. She has a master's degree. I have a, a business undergrad degree, so, so we understand this stuff, right? And yet, for two years of our marriage, before we got serious about looking at money, for two years, we lived on 107% of our income. That means, in English, we spent a lot more than we took in. Now, I tell you that, not so you think that we're idiots. We, we, we're good. We got a handle on it. This, this stuff goes back. We're still making appropriate choices now. But this stuff goes back. Well, I'm telling you this because our experience isn't unique. We bought the lie that said, if we increase our standard of living, then our quality of life would go up. But what we discovered was every time our income went up and we increased our spending, we were having the same discussions about money that we had had all along. Some of you in this room, there's no, there's no right or wrong about this. You, you make 50000 a year, and your thoughts are, if I could just make a little bit more money, everything's going to be all right. And you might be sitting next to a guy that's making $200,000 a year, and you think to yourself, man, if I ever made that, I would be generous, I would give, I'd bless people, I wouldn't be having this frustration, my marriage would be better, we wouldn't be fighting so much. And the guy sitting next to you making $200,000 a year, he's thinking, man, if I could just make a little bit more, I wouldn't be fighting, having conversations. I because it has very little to do with how much you make, and your enjoyment with money and the freedom with money and the power with money doesn't come in the package of your income alone. It comes with the margin you create between your income and your spending. Your standard of living doesn't equal your quality of life. There are people that make less money than you, and they're content. They're happy. They don't fight with their spouse about money all the time. If they're believers, they walk in obeying God. When God says to them, there's a lady in need, write her a check. They don't have a lot, but they have enough margin in life to write a check and bless that lady over there. And they take great joy in blessing that lady over there. And they have room, and they make less than you do. But what they've done is they've created, they have lived lower in their standard of living than their income allowed because they didn't buy the lie that if I have a higher standard of living, then the quality of my life will go up. Some of us, some of us, we live in nice houses and drive nice cars. And can I just be honest? The underside of, of life here in you know, nice you know, northern suburbs of Cincinnati, we don't, even enjoy, we don't even enjoy going home to the house that we have, and it's nicer than most people's. And so, so our Heavenly Father comes to us, and He looks at us, and He says, what if you took seriously this truth, that your happiness in life, the quality of your life, is not dependent upon your standard of living. Of course you've got to have enough food to get by. You've got to have some shelter over your head, and, and you've got to have a certain amount of transportation. But what if it didn't have to be all the way up here? What if you didn't believe it had to be all the way up here in order for you to have a happy, 
life, a high quality of life, and if it wasn't filled with fighting and frustration, and if you didn't go to bed with pressure, how am I going to pay that bill? Or I'll pay this one now and I'll delay this one two days and I won't get a late payment or a penalty and do this. So I have some, and you're juggling, juggling. And it, but if any one of the balls falls down, what if you had power and freedom? Here's the deal, friends. You can raise your standard of living tomorrow with debt. You can do it. With debt, you can raise your standard of living very high. And while you can raise your standard of living with debt, in order to raise the quality of your life, it takes a different dynamic. It takes discipline. Discipline. You can raise your standard of living with debt, but in order to raise the quality of your life, you have to put discipline there. Because your money is limited. You have limited means with money. Everybody does. Yours might be different than mine. You may be wishing you had the guys next to you. That's fine, but you have a limit. And when you run your life up to the point of your limit, you are squeezed upon. The Bible says it this way, that when your debt is so high or you live with no margin, that you have, in effect, become a slave. Slave to Visa, MasterCard, and your mortgage holder. And that's the opposite of what God wants for you. Listen, God doesn't want anything from you. Think about this for a minute. He's God. He doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need you to give to him. He doesn't need you to serve him. He doesn't need you to contribute. If you're the kind of person that thinks that God needs you, then your God is very small. No, God doesn't need anything from you. And yet that's the way we treat him sometimes. He doesn't need anything from us, but he loves us. He loves us so much. So he says this, he says, create financial margin and face this reality. It might lower your standard of living to create margin, but it will probably increase the quality of your life. Less fighting at home. Listen, you're sitting in a room with people, and maybe, maybe it's you, and they have open fights in their house monthly about this. And what started off as a financial issue built on a lie that if we raise our standard of living, then the quality of our life will go better and we'll all just be happier together at this address. What started off a lie is now bitterness entrenched over decades or over years or over months. And other people, they're not fighting, but there's significant deception. And one person has an idea of what's going on and they're scared to death that the other person's going to find out because they've been managing it below the level of health and honesty and now it's a house of cards and some glass balls that you're juggling and you're praying it doesn't fall apart. And they're experiencing bondage and repression. And it's no longer touching their money, but because they've run the margin all the way up, now it's affecting their relationships. When you look at this and you come to it, what do you think your heavenly father wants? Does he want you to feel bad or does he want you to be free? Does he want you to be guilty or does he want you to walk in power? Does he want something from you by telling you, here's how you get freedom here. You should obey this. Follower of Jesus, you don't get an option. Or does he want you to take his words, partner with him, and then leave that experience making major changes so that the quality of your life goes up? Where is the heart of your heavenly father on this? What do you think about what he thinks about your money and what his goals for you are? So three almost universal money realities. You ready for these? You are right now living on a percentage of your income. Maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you're like me and Jill, and for a couple years of our life, it's 107% of our income, which eventually that will catch up with you, friends. 
But you're living on a percentage of your income. And if, if, if you don't choose the percentage of your income that you're going to live on actively and consciously, if you're married in cooperation with your spouse and you talk on it and agree upon a goal, if you don't choose one, somebody will choose it for you. Because this is what I've discovered about Visa, MasterCard, and my mortgage holder. They don't hate me. They don't. In fact, they're providing us goods and service, hoping it makes my life better. But they don't love me either. <laughs> And they're not in it. They're never going to have a discussion with you that says, really, hey, before you sign this paper, is that going to squeeze your margin? Are you guys going to fight more? When it comes to buying your wife a birthday present, if you sign this paper, are you going to not be able to give her a gift that you want? Do you, do you really? They don't love me like that. No, they're trying to provide a good and service. And I already believe a lie that says if I increase the standard of living, then my quality of life will go up. And so together, the lie... And the lack of love, although it's fair and legit, listen, if you work in those companies, Visa, MasterCard, Bank, we love you. Thank you. I love going up, getting my gas, sliding my card, and, you know, not to have cash. It's all good. I, lo- I love that. So it's all good. But, and I don't expect you to love me, but, but if I buy this reality and I buy this lie and it comes together, then the percentage of my income that I'm living on gets really squeezed, really squeezed. And you're living on a percentage of your income. Here's, here's almost universal reality number two. You believe, and I believe, and it might be true, that if you had just a little bit more, you'd be fine. Jill's working at an ice cream shop, yogurt shop. I'm working at a, a, a hotel chain doing the night audit, doing the accounting. Just a little bit more would be fine. Jill now has a full-time job. I'm working in a church. She's making more money than me. We got used to that. I worked in churches a lot. She always made more money than me. It's very humbling, friends, for your wife to always make more money than you. But it's also very nice, uh, so I'm not complaining. Um, so... But, but if we just make it, she has a full-time job, I have a full-time job, we're making a little bit more, and we're still saying the same thing. If I had just a little bit more, things would be fine. And here's almost universal truth about money number three. You felt the same way that if you had a little bit more, you'd be fine when you made a lot less money. You did. I did. Many, many, now listen, if you're the one or two that don't, let me, let me tell you something. Don't give up. Um, listening, because I'm giving you tools. If you've already got this together, I'm giving you tools to help those of us that don't. And our culture, your family, your kids probably, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, the people that you're in small group, they don't got what you got. They don't have it together. They're squeezed. I'm glad you got it. Listen and get tools to help us. They feel the same way now making three and four and five times what they made 20 years ago that they felt when 20 years ago and they were saying to themselves if we only a little bit more. The problem isn't an income problem. The problem is that we believe the lie. That we believe that if we raise our standard of living then the quality of our life would increase. And the problem for followers of Jesus is we've heard Jesus' words about money but we didn't believe that we had to take them seriously. We thought we could follow him without following him. We thought it was optional. So now God's spirit moves on us and says, here's something I want you to engage. I want you to bless this person. I want you to be able to do this for your kids. I want you to be able to do this in your family. And your first thought isn't, yes, Lord, I'll obey you. Your first thought is, I can't do that. I want to, but I can't. Because now I'm, and we don't use this language, but now I'm a slave to Visa and MasterCard and First Financial and Bank of America. It's not that we're evil through and through. It's that we believe the lie. So God comes to us and gives us the gift of incredible clarity in the pages of the Bible. 
Here's what he says. In Luke chapter 16, I picked one passage, but it is the consistent message of the Bible with what we do with the portion of money that God has blessed us with. Here's what he says. By the way, if you're an unbeliever, you can listen. You're going to gain a few facts, a few information items. It'll help you. But if you're a believer, this is not optional, right? Here's what he says in Luke 16.10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So, So what this means is, if, if God can trust you with a little bit of money, then he has knowledge. He's, you've demonstrated, it's obvious, that if you manage a little bit well, you can manage a little bit more well. The inverse is true. And whoever is dishonest or doesn't manage or isn't a good, the, the Christian word is steward, of the little bit will also be a bad steward or dishonest or not manage well the much. So, verse 11, then it says, the very next verse. So, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, this is where it gets down to brass tacks, who will trust you with true riches? <clears throat> worldly wealth is a type of riches, but it, it, according to this verse, I know it's not the true riches. So, so, what are the true riches? The true riches are spiritual things. The true riches are deep, loving, lasting relationships where you're built up and you you feel affirmed and there's power there to bless and be blessed. There's power there to absorb the hiccups of life that you can't control. How are you going to handle true riches if you can't handle the temporary shadow riches like money? How How can you fully walk following the teachings of Jesus in your personal life about money because that really is your goal as a follower of Jesus? If you can't get this very minimum thing where God has blessed you to earn money or he's blessed you with money, but you can't manage that part well. Then he says in verse 12, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, listen, followers of Jesus, Christians in the room, don't we believe it all belongs to God? Don't we believe it's all his anyway? And the best we are is we are stewards of what he's blessed us with. That even our capacity to earn money, even if I worked hard for it, really comes because he gave me breath, he gave me a mind, he put me in relationships and gave me favor. And so I only have the capacity to earn because he gave me the capacity to earn. How are we going to be trusted with somebody, with somebody else's property if we can't even manage the property he's already blessed us with? If you've not been trusted with somebody else's property, who gonna, who's going to give you more? He's using the metaphor of an investor. And if they look at what you've done, they're not going to give you like a lot more. So then he says, here's what's really going on in the hearts. Again, it's not rocket science. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. You could have given this sermon, right? Hopefully not as good as me, but you could have. It's a joke. Not really. I need my job security. Um, I got bills to pay, friends. Don't you? Uh, so he says then with clarity, he says this in Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two masters. You, you can't have two bosses. I mean, if you have two real bosses, both speaking into your daily realities and your daily accountability, that's crazy-making, isn't it? If you have two parents, most, many, many, at least have a mother and father, if you have two parents, but they're not on the same page, and dad's saying you can do this, but mom's saying you can't, and mom's saying you can do this, dad's saying you can't, it's crazy-making. You can't serve two masters. Here's what he says. Either you'll hate the one and love the other. You ever seen this in like... I'm not thinking about it. You're like, in a divorce situation, and the kids are like, I'm with mom. I love mom. Mom's so kind. And then mom, like, gives the rules. Like, I hate you, mom. I'm going over here to dad. Dad lets me do what I want to do. That's what immature people do, right? That, that, that's what, you got to kind of grow out of that. But either you're going to hate the one master and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus says a phrase that just messes me up. Because I know what Jesus is supposed to say here. 
He's supposed to say, you cannot serve both God and the devil. That's what he's supposed to say. And Jesus makes a mistake. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, all right? I do like my job. Of course he doesn't make a mistake. He gets to bedrock and clarity and he says, you can't serve both God and money. And if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what he's saying to you. Maybe you didn't mean to, maybe you didn't think about it, but if you're honest and you look yourself in the mirror, here's the truth. You are now a servant of money. Maybe it was through your spending, maybe some of it had to do with choices you didn't make, but now the truth is your number one priority in real time is not, God, how do I honor you here? How do I follow you here? How do I obey you here? Your first question always is, is, well, we can't afford that. I'd like to. I'd like to, but I can't afford that. And Jesus knows this, that the number one competitor for your heart, for the place he's supposed to hold, is not the devil. It's not sexual sin. The number one competitor for your heart, for the throne of your heart that Jesus is supposed to be sitting on, where he's God and you're not, the number one competitor is money. And God doesn't want something from us with that. He wants something for us because he knows that if money is sitting on the throne of your heart, you are a slave. Maybe you didn't choose it actively, but the choices of your life to squeeze the margin so thin has caused you to wake up Maybe right now for the first time. Maybe you've had glimpses of it. Maybe you've made decisions before, but you're still in a mess. It causes you to wake up and say, oh my goodness, I do love the Lord. I do want to follow. If he speaks, I want to obey. And every time he does, my first question, my first thought is, I can't afford it. You don't walk in power. You don't walk in freedom. I'm not trying to beat you up. There's a path out of this. It's a path thousands of people have walked. But it begins with you and me coming to terms with the fact that money is wrestling for the throne of your heart and it wants to enslave you. It doesn't love you. Only God does. Only God loves you perfectly. So there's some homework we can do. We can drill down on this number all the way through, all right? So five suggestions, you know this, maybe you haven't thought about it in these words, it's not new, but the question isn't to a nod your head in agreement. Good job, pastor, I agree with you. That's, it's not to say, oh, I have a few things. I can. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's to say, God, am I following you here? So number one, I think you have to decide that you're not gonna live this way anymore. If you're in your 20s, good for you. Don't be an idiot. Every time you get a raise, you don't have to spend it. You can actually create margin. You can spend a little bit more, of course. I mean, I talked to a guy in his 20s this week, just this week. We're talking about this subject. We're just going to bounce some ideas off him. He says, I was taught to live on 50% of my income, to save 40%, and to give 10%. And I thought, whoa. I said, well, how are you doing? He said, I'm not quite there, but almost. And I'm thinking, you, friend, are in your 20s, and you are wise. Wisdom is not a function of age for the believer. Wisdom is a function of obeying Jesus. You are wise. Whoever you marry is going to be blessed. You're going to be able to bless people. And he's actively working to get, I don't know what your percentage needs to be, but number two, you need to create a margin goal. What percentage of your income are you going to live on? If you don't choose it, somebody will choose it for you. I make 100,000 a year. All right, I'm going to live on 80 a year. I make 50,000 a year. I'm going to live on 80% a year. I'm going to live on 85% a year. All right, I can't right now this year live on 80, but I can live at 95. Right now I'm living at 100. I could live at 95. I, there are things I could cut. Here, let me, let me give you a little idea. Jill and I, are, we always are circling this, this issue in our home. It doesn't go away because money is always vying to be the king of our hearts. 
So we made a decision as we're dealing with our car. Is there other money we can find? We decided to cut cable, and we're going with Netflix and Hulu. I don't, I don't think we signed up for Hulu yet, but we're, we're going to. So we called our cable company, and we cut like $100 a month out of our cable bill. Thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you what happened. This is like blessing to the Lord. Jill calls the cable company. They said, well, we're going to be out middle of April, and we'll disconnect. There ain't going to be any trucks in your neighborhood right away. But we'll go ahead and stop charging you now. So for a month, I get cable for free. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Right? No, but, but for the next several years, I'm not going to be paying that bill. I can find some art. I'm not done picking anybody. But if you're spending five bucks a day on coffee and you feel constrained in your financial margin, you, you can create margin. You can save five bucks a day. You're smoking, 350 to $550 a pack. I'm not picking on you. And you feel financial pressure, you have room to make margin. You do. You're eating out all the time because you're a little too busy. You have room to make margin. You can. You can get. You have to decide what percentage you're going to live on. Number three, you have to spy on your money. A lot of us don't know where our money's going. We have a general sense. We make decisions off of a general sense of how much money we have. And we wake up 30 days later and we're like, oh, that's a little tighter than I thought it was. You have to spy on your money. This means for 60 days, you figure out where every penny is going. You, you swipe your credit card, you write it down. Went to Dave and Buster's, went to whatever. Bought the coffee, whatever. Bought, you know, every penny, where does it go? If you knew where every penny was going and you watched it for 60 days, nobody would have to tell you where you could make cuts. The problem is a lot of us don't know where it's going. We're just kind of living on autopilot. And living on autopilot doesn't take you to freedom, power, empowerment, joy, quality of life. It takes you maybe to higher standard of living, but it also takes you to bondage and repression. And this is not God's heart for you. It's not what he wants for you. So you have to spy on your money. Number four, this is the hard one. You ready for this? You're going to have to cut spending. You're not smarter than everybody else that's ever lived. You're not. You're probably bright, but you're not the smartest guy. And you're not going to figure out a new way to create margin that doesn't include somewhere cutting spending. Some of us have very nice houses and very nice cars, and people want what we have, and we don't even like driving home. When the garage door opens and, and you're coming in, your wife's thinking, I wish I had a little bit more time. She makes herself busy. And you're on your way home, and you're thinking, I'm not engaging. I'm so tired. I'm going to sit myself in front of the TV. And your standard of living is high, but because the margin has been squeezed out, and there's no breathing room there, now here's how you're going to fix that. You're going to have to cut spending. And number five, you have to figure out a debt retirement plan. You have to figure out what to do with all this debt that's serving as the master in your life and every decision is being made through the filter of what is this debt doing to me and how do I manage this and I can't afford to not pay this payment by this date and we're juggling things. And you say, well, I don't know how to figure out a debt retirement plan. Let me tell you how to do this. You go to the bookstore today after church and you go straight to Barnes & Noble. You jump on Amazon, which is a little bit cheaper and you buy Dave Ramsey's Financial Freedom Revisited book and you read it. And you, okay, so you say, well, Ben, I'm so far in debt I can't afford it. I'm, I'm going to tell you what to do. You go to the bookstore at Barnes & Noble at Union Center and you pull the book off the shelf. Dave Ramsey's Financial Freedom. You sit in a chair and you read it. And when nobody's looking, you quietly close it back and you put it right back on the shelf. You say, I don't have time to read a whole book. That's fine. Go to chapter six on his snowball debt retirement plan. Then I don't have time to sit in a, in a, in a, in a bookstore and read a book. I'm going to tell you what you do. You take your iPhone or your phone that you can't afford and you put it on the picture mode. Remember, you don't have any margin, but you've got an iPhone. You take... I'm meddling, aren't I? You take your, and you go to Dave and Buster's and you open the book to chapter six, about page 30 or so. You take pictures of those three or four pages and at home. And then when you get out of debt, you go back and you buy the book. 
You've got margin. You can create margin. You're not a victim. You're not powerless. You're not. You have, as a child of God, the Holy Spirit and the power of God coming alongside of you and saying, if you will try to follow me, I will empower you. That's what he wants for us. He doesn't want you fighting, bickering. He doesn't want you feeling the Holy Spirit move on you to do something and then your first thought is, I can't. He wants you to have breathing room and margin in your time in your emotions, but with money. So here's what we have to remember. I want is greater than I owe. There's a lot of things I want. My boys and I have been talking about getting a new grill for the backyard. We have one that's like 20 years old. All right, you'll discover, I, at heart, I'm pretty cheap. But it's relatively functional, but now the grill's falling apart. And it, doesn't, it, it really is, if we're going to have a grill, it's kind of time to get a new one. So we're out looking, and we go, and there are a lot of great seven and $800 grills that would look phenomenal on my deck. And I would just feel like a better person if I had one. I would. And yet I said to the boys, look, here's our budget. I'm going to let you guys go pick it out. They took some of their money, figured out what they were going to do, and so they bought this grill, and they did it within budget. I want my kids to make that kind of decision all the time. I'm looking at cars with my son, Max, and they allow you to slide the amount of money you're willing to pay, like the maximum dollars. And so we've set a budget. They know what the budget is. And we sit down with Max to look at cars, and I slide that slider about $8,000 more than my budget. And he says, what are you doing, Dad? So I just, I just want to see what's out. I just want to see what's out there. And he says, Dad, if you look at what's out there, you're going to want that, and you're going to buy more car than you said. I'm like, oh, you're 12. <laughs> Dang. Oh, gosh. I'm here. I want my kids to operate with that kind of wisdom, that kind of knowledge in every financial decision. And they won't be smart like their mom and dad who are smart and dumb, incredibly educated and foolish. And they'll walk in freedom that Jill and I have just now really discovering and working on hardcore for the last 10 years. So, what can we do? We can take a few steps together. Around here, we use the Connect card to do that. Why don't you grab yours out? I'm talking about creating margin in your financial life, but the real key here is putting Jesus first. For some of you, you haven't done that yet. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. You don't have to do anything, in fact. You have to accept His grace and say, God, I've been living my own life. I've been blowing it. I'm not perfect. There's a lot good about me, but I'm not good through and through. Your word calls me a sinner. I just want to admit that to you. And I'd like you to not just be the Lord of the universe. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I really want to follow you. So would you forgive me? And would you, would you come and be a part of my life? Would you be the leader, in fact? If you want to do that, it's called getting saved, getting born again, making Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life. And you can do that through prayer. You can borrow my words in a couple of minutes. You can use your own and just say, God, I, I'm not, I'm done. You're in charge now, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to follow you. If you'd like to do that, check next step A. When the offering bucket comes by later, drop your card in the offering bucket, and then we're going to communicate with you. You're not joining our church. We're not going to ask you for money. We're going to help you understand what that means and the implications and the power and the love that's there in a relationship with Jesus. Now, how about next step B? I want to get baptized. If you check the box, our team will be in touch with you. And there's not something you have to do. They're going to ask you a few questions like, you know, has Jesus become your Lord and Savior? Do you understand what this means? And then you're going to come and we're going to just celebrate with you the great joy that baptism is. How about next step C? Let's be honest. Could you say this? Is this your, is this your confession today? God, I'm squeezed financially. Maybe it happened because of what somebody else did, a boss fired you. But the truth is some of the squeezing is my own doing. Help me to 
follow you and make some margin in my life. God, I'm squeezed. Help me to follow you and make some margin. If that's you, could you be honest and let the staff and I and a handful of other prayers rally around you and just lift you up so that the dream that God has for you to be free, to have power financially could be yours? How about next step D? I'm going to start my money homework this week. You have to decide, and maybe you can do that right now. I'm not living this way anymore. We're not living this way anymore. We're not going to have constant fights. Ten years from now, it's going to be different. You have to decide when you're going to change. And then you have to decide, you know, choose what level of income are we going to live at? What percentage of my income? And then follow those other steps. How about next step E? Maybe you're not like desperate, but the truth is here's your heart. I want to follow Jesus towards a better quality of life, and I'm willing to work on my money. I want to create some margin and some breathing room. I want the quality of my life, not just the, the enjoyment of the stuff of my life. I want the quality of life, not just the standard of living to go up. Let's pray about those things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. God, if I've ever needed to experience your grace, it was with my soul, but it was also with my money. And you love me so much, you love us so much to be clear on what we can do. We are not powerless. We are not victims. We can make choices to honestly manage and be good stewards of what you've given us. God, give us the, the fortitude, the boldness to choose and to do. God, don't let us believe the lie that somehow when you talk, we get as followers of Jesus the option of whether or not we take you seriously just a lie. Father, I pray for each person in this room that's making you the Lord of their life right now. They're making you the Lord of their life. They want you to be in charge. God, I pray for each person that's wanting you to be the Lord of their life financially. They've given you everything else, but they don't have freedom here, and they're not following you here. Help them, Father, today to make a decision and to move forward. We pray it all in your name, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.